Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to our regular podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 1st of July. Welcome to everybody. Um, thank you for inviting me back uh, again. I've got a few things I just wanted to bring up today. One is um, you, and you'll have watched the news recently and seen um, the lockdown in Leicester. Um, the prediction is still that we might get a second peak in September, October. But what seems more likely, particularly when you get these mass groupings of people, you know, like we're on the Bournemouth beaches or um, these um, park collections of you know thousands of people, and even in some of the demonstrations, is that we're like more likely to get sort of regional um, spikes. So we've seen it in Western Supermare. It's happened in Cornwall. Um, there was a small outbreak in uh, one of the hospitals um, in the community in Dorset, um, and now the, the sort of what they was what they're seeing in Leicestershire. So. You know, as we go forward, I, I think we need to remain vigilant. There still is a, all the hospitals are reporting very low levels of new cases and the levels of people actually in COVID protected beds or in COVID ITUs is relatively low in our area. But um, I would wait and see what might happen over the next three or four weeks um, as a outcome of these mass gatherings. So I think we need to be remain vigilant. Um, moving away from COVID, you, you you will hopefully have seen in my newsletter that went out, the partnership incentive was launched today, but the data came out yesterday. So this is a loan for any new partner, any new clinical partner um, who joined a practice after the 1st of April and has been a partner for the first time. We're still pushing that um, practice managers could be in the scheme, but that's not allowed at the moment. But there's still work going on to try and incentivize that. Um, so if you've got um, GPs um, who have become partners, I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, but if you've got ones who are coming in the future, it does seem to be creating some incentive. We are seeing more partners coming forward. Um, next week, we're holding a recruitment event and um, uh, probably Carol or, or one of somebody else in the team will cover that later. But we've got about 130 GPs coming. There's 40 practices signed up to it. It is a good time to recruit. We know that locums are struggling to find work and some of them are looking for um, substantive posts. We also know that some of the trainees are really worried that there won't be jobs available when they finish at the end of July. Um, so if you are looking to recruit, now is probably quite a good time to do it. Um, also, um, I would say the other one of the other big issues we're dealing with at the moment is um, planning for flu. So there's a lot of work being going on, which the LMC has been heavily involved in, and we'll be sending some stuff out in the next couple of days, looking not only about how we provide the mass vaccination that will be required in the autumn, but doing that when you might be required to use PPE, we might have a second um, peak of COVID, but also there may be some development of the number the groups that are being looked at. Certainly, we believe that there's likely to be a higher targets so if you look at the under 65s at risks um, and particularly if you look at you know things like COPD we we get just over 50 percent and really if we're going to look at some of the risk that people might face with COVID and other things we need to be getting higher levels than that so we've done quite a lot of work about how you could deliver the vaccination program while COVID is still going on and that will come out 
um, tomorrow, hopefully, or maybe later on today, but more likely tomorrow. Um, and there should be some resources in there about there's a toolkit about how you can plan to do it within your practice and what that might look like in terms of time commitment and um, how you might plan to do that. Um, also, the recruitment event is focused on GPs this time, but I'd be quite interested from some feedback from practices about whether you'd like us to hold one in the future for nurses and allied health professionals, because we know looking at now for primary care networks who I will reiterate, uh, most have done a fantastic job over the last three months at bringing practices together, working you working collaboratively within your community, and also looking at recruiting these additional roles. You know, the 26,000 additional roles which are 100% funded, this is where we're gonna address some of the workload um, issues that we've got by expanding our workforce. So. Um, looking at the numbers that have signed up to the GP recruitment event, we wonder whether using a similar sort of format might help in the future to look at recruiting other um, healthcare professionals that you might need in your practice stroke in your PCN. So be really grateful if you could feed back to us what you whether you think that would be helpful or not. Um, other than that, I think I'll shut up and uh, happy to answer any questions um, on the Q&A bit or later on as needed. Thanks, Nigel. Um, I think, Carol, if we just hang straight over to you, please, um, for your piece, that'd be lovely. Thank you. We'll do Q's and A's then um, after that. OK, well, as, as usual, Nigel's pinched most of what I was going to say anyway. So there you go. That's good. Thank you, boss. Um, the one thing I think I'd, I did want to mention um, is because we've been talking about it this morning and um, is on the new to partnership. There is a, a, a business training allowance for new partners. And as a lot of you will know, um, we've already done a new to partnership type event. Um, we've done two or three of them now. Um, we are going to look at actually what that um, business training allowance needs um, uh, for your new partners. So what I would say to you is don't go running off and buying bits of this and bits of that from, from various other organisations. If you want to just hang on, we will do it quite quickly and we will make an offer out there fairly soon. So um, that's, that's just one piece of information. Um, the only other thing I really wanted to cover today is, is the dreaded PCSE. I know a lot of you are still having major problems, um, as are we, because as we told you a few weeks ago, they've restructured at PCSE and we've lost the uh, engagement managers that we used to escalate all your problems to. And, and with some success in some cases, not in all. Um, in the end, we went to the GPC with this because we felt that, you know, we can't keep going. We had nowhere to go um, other than using the portal in the same way that, that you have. I only had this back yesterday. The GPC has now got an escalation um, process, but it is through them. They're not allowed to share with us the actual emails and the, the engagement officers that they're using. Um, so I've said that's absolutely fine as long as they're prepared because obviously they, they cover nationally um, and they're going to have to take all the queries. So we've reinstated the um, complaint or the um, log that we used to do for our engagement managers. Now, there's just a couple of slight differences. One is that you have to have exhausted 
all of the possibilities of getting a response from PCSE. So you have to go through their, their channels. So whether it's a pension or a registration or whatever, you need to go through that and get your CAS number. Um, you then um, have to go through their complaint. If you don't get a satisfactory response within the normal time, you have to go through their complaints portal. After that, if you don't get a satisfactory um, resolution, at, at that point, we can escalate through GPC. If we escalate through GPC, we must have, and we'll put a template on the FAQs, we must have the full GP name, GMC number, the CAS reference, a summary of the complaint, and a contact email address, whether that be yours or the GP in question. But we'll put that on the FAQ, so as a reminder. Um, so that's that's where we are with that um, at the moment. Um, I'm now going to hand over to Lisa Harding, um, and Lisa is going to cover indemnity on antibody testing and uh, the NHS complaint process, which will take about five seconds. Less than. Thanks, Carol. Um, just to let you know, for those who haven't seen it, as you probably remember, um, complaints, NHS complaints were paused um, up until the end of June. We've had a confirmation that's subject to local deterrence, that sub unless circumstances change significantly, there is no intention to extend that pause beyond the end of June. So as from the beginning of July, there's an expectation that you would start to resume normal complaints handling, apologies, as usual. Put that on mute. Um, so that was just to mention on complaints. Um, on antibody testing, there were two elements I just wanted to briefly mention. One is to confirm that uh, indemnity will be covered by the COVID fund via the Clinical neg Negligence Scheme for Coronavirus for primary care staff who take blood samples for, from any NHS primary care contracting staff or colleagues working within the NHS. Um, we've also seen guidance from the ICO on the antibody testing that practices undertaking that for staff or colleagues should have a, a, a DPIA in place and should update their employee privacy notice. We've been in touch with uh, the DPOs for Wessex. They're all happy to coordinate and support practices in producing those documents. In fact, I'm, I know that Dorset have already sent something out to their practices, which I believe they've got to slightly amend, so they're resending it. Um, but that's just to let you know you don't have to do a whole piece of work yourselves. If you haven't seen it already, contact your DPO. And that was it from me, Carol. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Lisa. Um, we'll wait and see if there's any questions for you later, if that's all right. And then I'll hand straight over to Helene, who's going to talk about PPE in the hot weather that we're currently not really having. But anyway. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Carol. Um, as Carol said, this is really about the fact that obviously in hot weather, staff may want to change their um, their PPE more frequently. So it's ensuring you have a, appropriate access to it. Um, there are going, another question that's been raised this morning that's come in actually, we've had quite a few emails around this and I'll, I'll just touch on it very briefly, is around the use of PPE in cervical smears. Um, apparently some nurses have raised concerns that because of bodily fluids and splashing that this may be a concern and what should they wear. So I have actually been in touch um, with people nationally and some IC specialists and I'm about to send an email out this afternoon to reassure nurses um, and what precautions they need to take in relation to the use of PPE and um, cervical smears. 
Um, and the other thing is, um, which will come out later, is about flu, really. <coughs> Um, and you will probably need to think about having access to um, increased volumes of PPE, particularly gloves. So that's something for you to uh, consider. And I think if you have any issues, then you need to get back to us at the LMC. OK, thank you, Helene. Um, and I'm now going to hand over to Michelle, who's going to give you uh, an update on the shielding situation. It wouldn't be a PM webinar without shielding, would it, Michelle? You're right. It wouldn't be. A PM webinar without shielding is the topic. I think the first thing I'm going to say is we're not experts in this field. Um, and so there's updated guidance that any um, shielded patient who cannot work from home but needs to work could potentially go back to work from the 1st of August. Um, if you're a COVID secure site, we've had numerous queries, as you can imagine, from practices on this. Um, what we would suggest is that practices should undertake risk assessments. So you can, you know, most practices will have done it on all staff, but definitely on the patient, on the staff that are shielding or high risk. And anybody, any, any member of staff that's identified with a high score, we would suggest that you seek an independent occupational health uh, assessment and then they will be able to guide you on what steps you need to take for them to come for the shielded members of the team to come back. There is some really useful information, I believe, on first practice management and also the ACAS website. So it's worth going and having a look at those. I think the thing we need to just consider is that potentially shielded patients could be classed as a disability and therefore um, the dis disability discrimination potentially becomes a factor. I know there's a number of questions on the Q&As around occupational health and the guidance that NHSE have recently issued on the provision of occupational health and who's funding that. I'm not sure we're clear on that. I think there are some areas, some CCGs who are potentially going to have that as a service and paid for for their practices, but I'm not sure that that's something that's right across our patch. I'm kind of looking at Carol. If I got that correct? Yeah, I don't know if Nigel's got anything to add. Certainly in Dorset, they have or are in the process of commissioning a service from the local community trust, which is good news because um, then we can say to the other CCGs, why aren't you doing that for your lovely practices? But um, Nigel, do you know any more about what's likely to happen? Yeah, it's um, continuing to be discussed. Um, I was on a national call yesterday about it. What... I mean, there is an occupational health service for GPs. Um, what uh, I think will may well come in is that um, what um, Michelle was talking about. So if you've got shielded patients and I, uh, shielded staff, and I know some of the staff want to come back and practices are nervous about it. So we need some um, good occupational health advice for those specifically. But it may be on a one-off basis rather than um, a total occupational health staff for everybody. And I think the occupational health contract is... Um, being looked at at the moment. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Michelle, had you finished or did you want to continue? That's it. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go back to Louise now because Louise wants to uh, talk to you about the practice manager conference and about coaching and then we'll go into questions if that's all right. Yes, just to let you know, hopefully you'll receive an email from me saying we've got our first virtual practice manager conference, which is scary and exciting, probably in both in both measures. So that's on the 15th of July in the morning. We'll be starting at 9.30. It'll be running through to one o'clock. It'll be um, hopefully some inspiration, some fun, 
um, and some information. So Phil Hammond is coming to speak to us again. Those of you who heard him in 2015 at our practice manager conference, hopefully, and um, will remember him fondly. He made us laugh. He was quite rude, which is quite quite irreverent. Um, but actually, I think because he has got an NHS background, is working in the NHS, he will uniquely understand um, a little bit of what um, you're going through, and hopefully, he'll just bring a bit of fun and laughter and inspiration to us. We've also got some um, HR stuff on developing people, looking after yourselves. We've sent our intrepid reporter out. Carol Cusack, who's been doing a bit of filming for us, so that'll be interesting. Um, and hopefully, it'll just be an, it'll be an interactive day for you as much as it can be. The Q and A function obviously will be there as it is now, and um, I'm just hoping you're going to be able to um, join in with that, and that should be good for us all. I think a bit of, a bit of a lift, a bit of something different. Um, and just to let you know that the coaching offer from NHS England is still out there for practice managers and all primary care staff. Um, it's called Looking After You. I'm looking over here at my other screen with the information on it. At the moment, only 13% of um, people taking part are practice managers. A lot of GPs are taking part in this. Please remember it's there for you and for your staff and for all the GPs. There's an exceptional um, reporting rate saying how very helpful it was. One practice manager said, you're quite the best 45 minutes I've ever spent with anybody. It's all about looking after you and giving you um, strategies for coping at this particularly difficult time. So that's on our support page on our website, but I can send out the link when we send out um, the FAQ information. So just on to questions now. Um, they're coming in thick and fast, Carol. I'm just going to go to PCSE. Yes. Is it fit for purpose? Oh my goodness. You know, this has been recorded. This yes, is I know. I, I think there's a thousand, you know. Yeah, you can feel a frustration coming through. Of course. And, and for years, I think we've all agreed it probably isn't. However, they, are, they have restructured, they are getting there. Um, there's, there's, oh, one of the good things that's come out, which I should have mentioned and probably haven't in the last couple of weeks, is that we know that this year there's a priority programme for digitalisation of all of the Lloyd George records. And, and that's going to be a paid for service. So that actually is going to save an awful lot of angst that a lot of you have where, you know, you get um, deceased records being requested or, or, you know, solicitors requesting records that you've already sent back to PCSC and either they can't find it or they, you know, say to the patient or the solicitor, well, it's illegible, that's no good, go back to the practice. All of that should disappear when we've got everything in place so that so that's good news there will be there will be some um you know wins there I, I can't say that they are or are not fit for purpose what i do know is that you have to be careful what you wish for if they stop and that contract gets gets stopped where else do you go we, we you know there isn't another service in place that could take over so we've got to work with them we've got to do our best we keep Going back to the GPC, we are feeding back all of your issues. As I say, we've just got this new escalation process. We just have to work with it. We'll do our best. Okay. Um, just one particular query. Um, is it usual to ask all patients to move to pools list? Is that what PCSE are doing with everybody? One practice manager was surprised. It, it, that's the norm these days, yes. Um, and be, because rather than have individual named GPs, everybody's got a named accountable GP, but that's that's within the contract. That's something that happens within practice. Pooled lists 
are the norm. It saves you an awful lot of angst. If a, if a GP leaves, you don't have to do all the sort of, you know, letters and moving people over and, and transferring whole personal lists to another GP name. So pooled lists are the norm. Okay. And a particular concern that pensions issue seems to be, PCFC seems to be deducting at 2018 levels, which doesn't seem to be very sensible or accurate. I wasn't aware of that. Okay, um, I can. I will definitely feed that back. Okay, that's lovely. And also, um, when you put in a query to PCSE, how long do you think you should wait before you start jumping up and down and asking you to escalate it? Oh, the problem is that they, the, in their, in their commissioned um, service, in their contract, they've got they've got forty days, four zero. That's quite a big number isn't it what I would say to you is if it's causing you financial difficulties if we're talking large sums of money tell us straight away we'll get it escalated because that's wrong if it's a niggle something that they can't quite get right if it's not causing you any um, financial issues then please wait see what sort of response you get if the response isn't good or it doesn't come within 40 days come to us thank you that's helpful Carol um what is a COVID secure practice? This is quite an interesting question. And um, this is part of when are we going to get back to normal again and have open doors? So this is part of a getting back to normal, but COVID secure in particular. Nigel's got very strong views on this. Off you go. So there's no, there is no definition which says tick these boxes and you're COVID secure. You can open your doors when you feel it's safe to do so. So our expectation is for the foreseeable future, you're going to carry on doing total triage and only bring those people in who you believe haven't got COVID. And although we're scaling down the hot sites, we may have to scale them up if we get another peak of COVID. So COVID secure in terms of hospital is they're talking about um, screening people before they come in for planned care, um, making sure that they're negative and self-isolated. So the risk is very small. Clearly, we can't do that in general practice. So, you know, um, part of the restoration recovery work that we're involved in is how we start stepping up uh, services that that are provided in practice and do it as safely as possible. There is no part of the problem is nobody can say this is 100 percent safe. What we can do is mitigate the risk as much as we can. And that's where the total triage using PPE comes in. But there are challenges with that as well. So are we expecting more specific guidance on practical, this is what you could do, or actually do people that have to all make their own independent decisions? So we're, we're doing some work in Hampshire. So I'm leading the primary care part of the restoration and recovery. So there is going to be information coming out, but I'm not expecting NHS England to come out with saying, right, from this day, you can open your doors. This day, you need to close them. I think the information will help you come to that decision, but it won't be as black and white as, you know, on this day you do that, on that day they, they do the other. You've got to look at, and, and particularly with this regionalisation, you know, there'll be a difference in what you provide in general practice in Leicester than than in rural Dorset. Okay. Um, going, carrying on with the theme of getting back to normal, I don't know, Helene, if you could come in here. And when can we resume travel vaccinations? Um, I, I think this has to be risk assessed, really. You know, we're already doing um, child immunisations and adult vaccinations. Um, I think at the moment, the, the countries that people are travelling to, the majority of them don't need complex travel vaccinations, apart from obviously making sure that people are up to date with their 
tetanus and polio, though obviously there will be some patients, one would imagine, who are making long-term plans for travel, so that has to be considered. But I guess that, you know, practices need to risk assess that um, for themselves. Okay, and just a couple of comments about using use of fans and aircon in practice at the moment. I don't know whether, Helene, you've got a comment on that as far as infection control might be. Um, well, we have had a discussion about this in the past, actually, a query that's come through. I think it's important to make sure that the air conditioning is serviced appropriately. Um, obviously, social spacing is still really important within practices for your administration and uh, staff, but you're far better probably to have the windows open, if possible, for good air circulation. Anybody else has got anything to add to that? It appears that the health and safety guidance is one thing and the NHS guidance is another thing. So it feels that like there's conflicting information as practice managers are trying to work out the best thing to do. Usually that means there's no research evidence and people yeah. are going on the best available information and making a decision. I mean, if you go back to the PPE debate between what the World Health Organization, um, Public Health England and other the BMA were arguing over um, because it's not based in good evidence it's being pragmatic with the evidence we've got available okay thank you um going on to staffing and risk assessments with staffing now the nhse letter said by the 24th on the 24th of june that all risk assessments for all staff have to be done by the end of july is that still the case do we know any more about that there's still a lot of work going on but um i mean there are concerns about particularly the BAME community and the additional risks. When you look at it, um, it isn't as simple as that because obviously there are other risk factors. So anybody with underlying health conditions, age, um, obesity, and there are particular things like diabetes. I, I, I can stand corrected, but I think a third of the people who sadly died um, are diabetic. So there's the particular group. So what they're asking is with increasing information, um, asking practices to look again, the whole of the NHS, so the hospital are doing it as well, look at that risk assessment. Again, the trouble is there's no there's nobody who's gonna have no risk. And even with the antibody testing, and if people are shown to be antibody positive, doesn't mean they're immune. So you can't just say, well, it's all right, you obviously had COVID, so you can go and work in the hot site and there'll be no risk. Um, and that's where I think it is particularly difficult for practice managers, but also partners in practice to to look at that evidence and then decide amongst themselves what's the safest way of providing that service. And following on from that, Nigel, um, there's a comment about so BAME risk assessment suggesting face to face avoidance with patients. GPs are being informed that their, their um, indemnity is going to be affected by this. Do you know any more about that? Who who says that? That's that's the indemnity is provided by CNSGP and you get it by providing primary medical services. There is uh, one of the things when we moved to that was there were going to be no exclusion clauses. So um, if somebody has got some further evidence that that's been said, please come to me offline, because I think that's that's fundamentally incorrect. Well, I think we heard this as a rumour um, two or three weeks ago, and I think it was I think it was. Uh, traced back to an insurance company um, that was saying it was going to affect life insurance rather than um, that sort of okay. work. Okay, let me clarify that then. So there was a suggestion from one life insurance company that if you had were antibody positive, which showed you'd have COVID, then it might affect your, your life insurance. I sent something out in a recent newsletter where the government and the BMA have been involved, and I think that's been uh, addressed. 
Okay, lovely, thank you. Um, a bit about finance now. Is income from public health work protected? Um, probably one for you, Carol. We've got a couple of practices delivering health checks as a PCN, now have HCAs with empty clinics, but we're still paying them out of our own pockets. Yeah, and this, is, this has been an absolute nightmare and we still haven't um, resolved all of it. Public health, as you're probably aware, um, don't come under the NHS and, and therefore they come under the local authorities and the local authorities were sent out a notice from the Cabinet Office saying that they had to protect their suppliers' income. Now, the way that public health looked at this is they got their suppliers to say, we're suffering because you're not paying us. We couldn't do that in general practice because it's not the way it works. We've got most of them saying that they will protect um, quarter one and possibly quarter two, but I think they are expecting a catch-up program to, by the end of March 2021. Now, the other problem we've got is that they paused health checks, as, as you know, and therefore they're not expecting to pay for health checks until they're reinstated. We have explained to them um, in no uncertain terms and very strongly that we have staff in practices employed specifically to undertake health checks and do that role. This is ongoing. I, you know, I really can't tell you anymore. That is where we are. We, we, we are working with them. Some public health departments have said, yeah, fine, but we do know that are going to look at activity at the end of the year. So we, we need you to be aware of that. Thanks, Carol. Um, and any news on payment of COVID claims? It's said in Swindon, but that's probably applies to other areas, I think. The, the national thing has not still not been agreed with Treasury, but most of the CCGs, I know, are talking to Hampshire yesterday, they've paid the vast majority of their COVID claims. I think there are one or two where there are queries about, and um, particularly estates is one of them, is whether it's COVID related, whether it's um, additional and whether it's a agreed. So they are continuing to pay out money and trying to do it. Um, and so it's, actually we talked to Dorset as well um, last week that they're, they've paid most of their, so they are continuing to pay it and are required to pay it. But obviously there's this question about what is COVID related and what happens going forward. In, um, I will say, as soon as you mentioned Swindon, in BSW, so what they've done is rather than each Baines, Swindon and Wiltshire dealing with their own claims, they, they put a central team together. And I don't think they quite recognised the volume of claims that were going to come in. As far as I'm aware, all claims have now been looked at. Quite a few have been paid. There have been some queries. Um, as Nigel said, if, if, if the justification for additionality wasn't there, then those claims are going to be queried. But I have been escalating to that team on your behalf. So if there's anybody that hasn't been in touch um, and has got money outstanding, just drop me an email. Okay, thank you, Carol. Um, I'm not too sure what this relates to, but I'm sure my worthy panellists will know exactly what it relates to. Any update on the NHSPS test case? Is that uh, part of the premises one for you, Carol? Premises one. Um, no, um, unfortunately, it was due actually to be heard in court at the end of May with everything else that's gone on. Apparently, they were trying to do it so that it would be done um, uh, remotely um, and, and by video. That, that apparently didn't uh, take place. So I, I am chasing it 
constantly. Um, GPC know we're waiting for the outcome of that because there are other likely cases. But at the moment, no, we haven't we haven't got a result yet. Okay. Um, just a little bit back to Nigel, you were saying about the £20,000 coming in. Does the incentive apply to salaried GPs who are taking on partnership responsibilities? It does. You've got to have a minimum of two sessions a week. You've got to remain in the practice of five years or you'll have to pay it back. And it's prorated if you go up to full time. But as long as they've not been a partner before and they can be a physio, a pharmacist or any other registered healthcare practitioner. Actually, Nigel, there's one bit I found really interesting because I read the documentation last night. Um, it's actually portable. So if, for instance, a GP or a physio stay, remains as a partner but goes and becomes a partner in a different practice, as long as they stay for the full five years as a partner somewhere, it's still paid. And I, I wasn't aware of that in the original. And I think that's really important because practices might say, what if, we, what, what if we're not a good fit? What if something happens? Or, and also what happens if we merge or anything? So actually, all of that is covered under, under that clause, which I think is brilliant. Lovely. Thank you, Carol. Um, this might go on for you, Lisa. Um, Matt Hancock promised digitisation of all Lloyd George records. Where is the process funding service, etc., for the ones we hold in practice currently? So I can answer that. So when I was doing the partnership review, the um, digitalisation um, discussion was going on the table next to me. So I worked with them a bit. So they were doing a three-year program uh, funded through the Department of Health to digitalise all the records to free up space, but also to stop all the records flying around. So it's being funded through Treasury, through the Department of Health. Okay, lovely. Um, a little bit more about money. Um, any update on locum fees being paid due to COVID? Well, it's the same as before. If you've employed additional staff because you need additionality to deliver the stuff, then you you need to talk to the CCG and you'll be able to claim it. So one of the things we're doing nationally is we have got a number of locums who are seeking work. We've also got GP returners who are not being used by the CCAS service. And we're saying, well, actually, if we go forward, um, you know, what what could these doctors, GPs usefully be doing? And, you know, we're going into the winter. So um, I don't wish to depress you all, but I think um, we've had the easy bit of COVID so we've diverted all our efforts to managing COVID. If we re-establish our services and then we get a second bit of COVID and we're trying to manage COVID at the same time as doing some of the routine stuff and not stepping everything down because, you know, we, we, we're developing quite a backlog within not only within hospitals, but within general practice. And if we step everything down, people are going to come to harm. So I think going forward, the shielded list has been made easier with some of the government announcements. But if you look at care homes and you look at, um, non-COVID work using PPE. There is this myth that general practice is closed and I'm doing some work. I'm going to talk to Treasury and um, the department on Friday about it, try and convince them that practices aren't closed, they're open, but we're working in a different way because of it. And that using video consultation isn't quicker, it takes longer. Um, so you know, that's that's all part of the same. I think something you've just said there as well, Nigel, is is really important because um, we're we're starting, aren't we, to see um, transfers of work where the hospitals are also trying to deal with their backlog. Do you want to say what we've been talking about around that, please? Yeah. So um, Hampshire's been pretty good. So when you the hospitals didn't um, turn off their referral system, they put people on a longer waiting list. So. 
apart from a couple of isolated incidents, largely in Hampshire, the Hampshire hospitals are looking at their backlog and how they're going to address it. We have had some problem in both Dorset and Wiltshire where hospitals have gone through some of their stuff and then said, you know, could general practice review all their x-ray requests or all their referrals um, rather than what we think they should do, which is they should manage the person's been referred in good faith. The fact that those services are not uh, haven't been available doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done. And rather than GPs going through all the referrals they've made over the last six months, they need to look at another way of doing it. Okay, thank you. Um, just a couple more. A couple of people have had um, claims for locum fees rejected, um, extra hours put in by partners and managers for COVID rejected. Do you suggest that the practice managers come to you to, to get support in challenge or do they accept it? Do you have any advice? Well, as to what it, they should do? It, it depends what they've done. And is it, have they, have they, you know, if you say we've worked two hours extra, well, I would argue that actually in most working days, there are managers and GPs who are there um, additionally, you know, over the normal contracted hours. If it is that, you know, you've got a high care home burden and you, you've bought, had to buy an extra GP time or nurse time to do that, then that's legitimate. But you need to talk to the CCG first. Without knowing what the claim is, the context of it, and the discussions have been had with the CCG before. It's quite hard to give a blanket answer um, what they should do. Yeah. What, what I was just going to add there was that what the CCGs are telling me is that the justification isn't there. It's just a claim. So if it was because somebody, um, you know, a couple of doctors had to go off and shield or that they were actually ill with COVID and, and you had to replace them and backfill them, that justification is absolutely acceptable. So it's making sure, as Nigel said, that the justification is there for the additionality to do with COVID, not just because for... It's because of COVID. Yes. Okay, thank you, Carol. Um, is 30th of June the absolute cutoff for claiming PPE, um, or can you be put in claims for PPE after that date? Because obviously we will be using more of it. So, so why would you need to claim for it? So first of all, you should go through NHS. Um, so it, there was a restriction on the number of uh, items you were getting a week. That's now been increased. They've also, because you know, if you're going to vaccinate four or 5,000 people in your practice and need PPE for it, that has been identified through the PPE cells and they're looking to increase the amount. So if practices feel they're run, running out of PPE and they're needing to buy it, then um, let us know and we'll go through the PPE cells. But you shouldn't be going out and buying it unless you can't get it any other route. Um, they did open up two portals, one for urgent supplies, um, if you were going to run out within the next sort of 48 hours, and then one for routine. So as, as Nigel said, I'm not sure why you'd be buying it because that's all been opened up and the, the logistics have been put in place as far as we're aware. Lovely. Thank you. A couple more about getting back to normal. We've heard this week that we need to start delivering health checks, but we as a practice don't see that as a priority. Any guidance on that? No, don't do it if you don't see it as a priority. Do, do Work through your priority. OK, I've just had a, just a comment back about confused message here. Most under the impression we need to buy in PPE and only use the NHS system if there's a critical shortage. No, as far as I'm aware, you're, you're, this is for fighting COVID and you will be provided with PPE. So if the person who's made that comment is confused, could you let me know where you've been told that you need to buy it? 
because if if you know if if we're wrong, we'll go and find out and check on that. But my there are a few comments coming in. There's obviously a confusion with a number of people about mixed messages there. So if you can let us know, please, um, out there, um, where where you've got that information from, preferably with a little bit of text, exactly where it's come from. That's that's be really helpful for us. And yes, we will share the routine portal details for PPE. That that'll be fine. Um, there's a little bit of nervousness about with bars and um, shops opening. Will we get kickbacks as medical practice if our doors aren't open and it doesn't look like we're open as usual? I think that's quite likely. I think practices need to look at how you're going to manage it. I don't think it, I think as the levels are at the moment, as we go forward, it's going to be difficult to do, to keep your doors locked and make sure that everybody, you know, uses um, triage as before. But hopefully we, um, there, there is going to be some information going out, which you can share with patients, which will incentivize them not to come into the surgery, but access you in a different way. I think there is a really important message because the impression that patients and politicians get is because the doors are locked, we're closed. And that isn't helping us with the argument for funding nationally. Um, an HR issue. I don't know, Lisa, whether you might be able to help on this. So we might say we are going to have an HR session at the practice manager conference because we're very conscious that this is becoming, you know, there are lots and lots of little sort of scenarios. It's quite difficult to answer quickly, but I'll just put it to you, Lisa, now. Um, if a hospital requires a staff member and their family to isolate for two weeks before the staff member goes into hospital, does the two weeks come under the staff member taking leave, unpaid leave or sick time that's paid? And in honesty, I don't know the answer, Louise, so I'll, I'll get some advice and find out and put it in the FAQs. Lovely. And I think we will put some scenarios. It, comes, it comes under sick leave and they need to be certificated by the hospital, not by the practice. OK, that's our answer. Good. Uh, I only came out yesterday, to be fair. So I'm not surprised. He's in, we only came on the list server yesterday, so... <laughs> Um, we have a retained care home contract. Is there a conflict with asking them to use the Airedale contact point? Depends what's in your retained contract, because obviously the retained contract can't be to provide GMS type services. So the Airedale type con contract, which is being um, spread out for remote working with practices, um, you know, there is the NHS service and then there's what you've negotiated with the care home outside the NHS services, because obviously you can't charge for NHS provided services. Um, something else, something on CQC. Um, RCGP are compiling a report on the future of CQC inspections. This is due to be released soon. Have um, either Carol or Helene got any idea when it might be released? I don't know. I've heard about it. Obviously, um, we are aware of it. We are aware that they're trying to get them to change their focus. But I don't, I don't know when it's going to be released. Um, no, it doesn't look like no. either. No, sorry. OK, that's fine. Thank you. And I, I think actually, Louise, I think it's part of a larger discussion because the PMA are doing the same and submitting um, information and having discussions with the chief inspector for primary care to say, actually, we need to. And, and the thrust of it, you won't be surprised, is looking in future for inspections to look at rather than ticking a box to say, well, you, you haven't got this. So therefore, you're a failing practice to be more objective about it. But those discussions are ongoing. The college's paper is just one of three or four that are being done at the moment. OK. Um, what about um, Freedom to Speak Up Guardian? RCTG have put forward a member of their quality team as the Freedom to Speak Up Guardian. Is it possible to have someone more independent? Yes. 
how do you go about getting that then Nigel you find somebody who's prepared to do it for you I mean it, it was it was an initiative brought out um, through NHS England because some of the debacles in um, you know like mid Staffordshire and some of the other things so the concept is good but it's quite hard to see quite how it would how it would work so ccgs have offered to do that um you you know there are if you go on the freedom to speak up website there's a whole host of information there that you can search through to see what what you could offer okay um any update regarding claiming for the new pneumovax vaccine it's 50 percent more than the previous one michelle i think you look like you've got some information on that one um, when we looked at it, we identified that you could claim that through the FP34D process. So it's claimable. Perfect. Thank you. Um, still no news from the DDRB. When and how will we know what pay rises to give in line with the model contract stating the DDRB uplift? Well, the DDRB is any advisory, so um, but all the um, information has been submitted uh, and we're still waiting. They, they never give you a date when they're going to publish their um advice so we're still waiting for it okay it's a sort of it's sort of an nhs it's imminent which could mean a week could mean two weeks could be a bit like the premises cost direction <laughs> don't even go there how many years are you waiting for that one then carol <laughs> only about four years it's only ready. four years oh well that's fine it's ready. it's ready and it's been signed off yeah it just needs to be published i'm waiting to retire it needs to come out <laughs> Um, that's lovely. That's all our questions now. There are actually, in the end, there are 108 of us joining in this, which is great. So obviously people came in just a little bit later than we thought. Um, but thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, panellists. And um, as I say, the recording will go out later on our website and I will send you a link for that and we will see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.